0: Part one, Chapter four of Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert Translated by Eleanor Marx Aveling This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Read by peter Dan. Part one, Chapter four The guests arrived early in carriages, in one horse chaises, two wheeled carts, old open gigs wagonettes with leather hoods, and the young people from the nearest villages in carts in which they stood up in rows, holding on to the sides so as not to fall, going at a trot and well shaken up. Some came from a distance of thirty miles, from Gaudeville, from Normanville, and from Cañy. All the relatives of both families had been invited, quarrels between friends arranged, acquaintances long since lost sight of written to. From time to time one heard the crack of a whip behind the hedge, then the gates opened, a chaise entered. Galloping up to the foot of the steps it stopped short and emptied its load. They got down from all sides, rubbing knees and stretching arms. The ladies wearing bonnets had on dresses in the town fashion, gold watch chains, pelerines with the ends tucked into belts, or little coloured fichus fastened down behind with a pin and that left the back of the neck bare. The lads dressed like their papas seemed uncomfortable in their new clothes that day hand-sewed their first pair of boots, and by their side, speaking never a work, wearing the white dress of their first communion, lengthened for the occasion, were some big girls of fourteen or sixteen, cousins or elder sisters no doubt, rubicund, bewildered, their hair greasy with rose pomade, and very much afraid of dirtying their gloves. As there were not enough stable boys to unharness all the carriages, the gentlemen turned up their sleeves and set about it themselves. According to their different social positions, they wore tailcoats, overcoats, shooting jackets, cutaway coats, fine tailcoats redolent of family respectability that only came out of the wardrobe on state occasions, overcoats with long tails flapping in the wind and round capes and pockets like sacks, shooting jackets of coarse cloth, generally worn with a cap with a brass bound peak, very short cutaway coats of two small buttons in the back, close together like a pair of eyes, and the tails of which seemed cut out of one piece by a carpenter's hatchet. Some, too, but these you may be sure would sit at the bottom of the table, wore their best blouses. That is to say, with collars turned down to the shoulders, the back gathered into small plaits, and the waist fastened very low down with a worked belt. And the shirt stood out from the chests like cuirasses. Everyone had just had his hair cut, ears stood out from the heads, they had been close shaved. A few, even, who had had to get up before daybreak and not been able to see to shave, had diagonal gashes under their noses, or cuts the size of a three-franc piece along the jaws, which the fresh air en route had inflamed, so that the great white beaming faces were mottled here and there with red dabs. The Mary was a mile and a half from the farm, and they went thither on foot, returning in the same way after the ceremony in the church. The procession, first united like one long coloured scarf that undulated across the fields, along the narrow path winding amid the green corn, soon lengthened out and broke up into different groups that loitered to talk. The fiddler walked in front with his violin, gay with ribbons at its pegs. Then came the married pair. The relations, the friends, all following pell-mell. The children stayed behind, amusing themselves, plucking the bell-flowers from oat ears, or playing amongst themselves unseen. Emma's dress, too long, trailed a little on the ground. From time to time she stopped to pull it up, and then delicately, with her gloved hands, she picked off the coarse grass and the thistle-downs, while Charles, empty-handed, waited till she had finished. Old Rouault, with a new silk hat and the cuffs of his black coat covering his hands up to the nails, gave his arm to Madame Bovary Senior. As to Monsieur Bovary Senior, who heartily, despising all these folks, had come simply in a frock-coat of military cut with one long row of buttons, he was passing compliments of the bar to a fair young peasant. She bowed, blushed, and did not know what to say. The other wedding guests talked of their business, or played tricks behind each other's backs, egging one another on in advance to be jolly. Those who listened could always catch the squeaking of the fiddler, who went on playing across the field. When he saw that the rest were far behind, he stopped to take breath, slowly rosened his bow, so that the string should sound more shrilly, then set off again, by turns lowering and raising his neck, the better to mark time for himself. The noise of the instrument drove away the little birds from afar. The table was laid under the cart shed. On it were four sirloins, six chicken fricassees, stewed veal, three legs of mutton, and in the middle a fine roast suckling pig flanked by four chitterlings with sorrel. At the corners were decanters of brandy. Sweet bottled cider frothed round the corks, and all the glasses had been filled to the brim with wine beforehand. Large dishes of yellow cream that trembled with the least shake of the table had designed on their smooth surface the initials of the newly wedded pair in nonpareil arabesques. A confectioner of Yvetot had been entrusted with the tarts and sweets and as he had only just set up on the place, he had taken a lot of trouble, and at dessert he himself brought in a set dish that evoked loud cries of wonderment. To begin with, at its base there was a square of blue cardboard, representing a temple with porticoes, colonnades and stucco statuettes all round, and in the niches constellations of gilt-paper stars. Then, on the second stage, was a dungeon of Savoy cake, surrounded by many fortifications in candied angelica, almonds, raisins and quarters of oranges. And finally, on the upper platform, a green field with rocks set in lakes of jam, nutshell boats and a small cupid balancing himself in a chocolate swing, whose two uprights ended in real roses for balls at the top. Until night they ate. When any of them were too tired of sitting, they went out for a stroll in the yard or for a game with corks in the granary and then returned to table. Some, towards the finish, went to sleep and snored. But with the coffee, everyone woke up. Then they began songs, showed off tricks, raised heavy weights, performed feats with their fingers, then tried lifting carts on their shoulders, made broad jokes, kissed the women. At night, when they left, the horses, stuffed up to the nostrils with oats, could hardly be got into the shaft. They kicked, reared, the harness broke, their masters laughed or swore, and all night in the light of the moon along country roads there were runaway carts at full gallop plunging into the ditches, jumping over yard after yard of stones, clambering up the hills, with women leaning out from the tilt to catch hold of the reins. Those who stayed at the Bertaux spent the night drinking in the kitchen. The children had fallen asleep under the seats. The bride had begged her father to be spared the usual marriage pleasantries. However, A fishmonger, one of their cousins, who had even brought a pair of soles for his wedding present, began to squirt water from his mouth through the keyhole when old Rouault came up just in time to stop him and explained to him that the distinguished position of his son-in-law would not allow of such liberties. The cousin, all the same, did not give in to these reasons readily. In his heart, he accused old Rouault of being proud, and he joined four or five other guests in a corner, who, having through mere chance been several times running served with the worst helps of meat, were also of opinion that they had been badly used, and were whispering about their host, and with covered hints, hoping he would ruin himself. Madame Bovary Sr. had not opened her mouth all day. She had been consulted neither as to the dress of her daughter-in-law, nor as to the arrangement of the feast. She went to bed early. Her husband, instead of following her, went to St. Victor for some cigars and smoked till daybreak, drinking Kirsch Punch, a mixture unknown to the company. This added greatly to the consideration in which he was held. Charles, who was not of a facetious turn, did not shine at the wedding. He answered feebly to the puns, double entendre, compliments and chaff that it was felt a duty to let off at him as soon as the soup appeared. The next day, on the other hand, he seemed another man. It was he who might rather have been taken for the Virgin of the evening before, whilst the bride gave no sign that revealed anything. The shrewdest did not know what to make of it, and they looked at her when she passed near them with an air of unbounded concentration of mind. But Charles concealed nothing. He called her "my wife," tutoyed to her, asked for her of everyone, looked for her everywhere, and often he dragged her into the yards where he could be seen from afar between the trees putting his arm round her waist and walking, half-bending over her, ruffling the chemisette of her bodice with his head. Two days after the wedding, the married pair left. Charles, on account of his patience, could not be away longer. Old Rouault had them driven back in his cart and himself accompanied them as far as Vassonville. Here he embraced his daughter for the last time, got down and went his way. When he had gone about a hundred paces, he stopped, and as he saw the cart disappearing, its wheels turning in the dust, he gave a deep sigh. Then he remembered his wedding, the old times, the first pregnancy of his wife. He too had been very happy the day when he had taken her from her father to his home, and had carried her off on a pillion, trotting through the snow, for it was near Christmas time, and the country was all white. She held him by one arm, her basket hanging from the other. The wind blew the long lace of her head headdress so that it sometimes flapped across his mouth, and when he turned his head he saw near him, on his shoulder, her little rosy face, smiling silently under the gold bands of her cap. To warm her hands she put them from time to time in his breast. How long ago it all was. Their son would have been thirty by now then he looked back and saw nothing on the road. He felt dreary as an empty house, and tender memories mingling with the sad thoughts in his brain, addled by the fumes of the feast, he felt inclined for a moment to take a turn towards the church. As he was afraid, however, that this sight would make him yet more sad, he went right away home. Monsieur and Madame Charles arrived at Tostes about six o'clock. The neighbours came to the windows to see their doctor's new wife. The old servant presented herself, curtsied to her, apologised for not having dinner ready, and suggested that madame, in the meantime, should look over her house. End of part one, chapter four.